Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Hello, I'm your host today, Ed Clementi, and I want to thank a longtime friend, but also a person who's been in this position for a while, but also working at the organization a while, Jim Saber. He's the president and CEO of Next Energy. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks for having me. I really enjoy looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and I remember when I first met you, and uh, we'll talk about where I met you originally, but what do you tell people you run into and they go, what's next energy? You know, like it could be anything. What do you, what do you kind of tell them what you think it is and it represents the organization well for you? Sure. So when I meet folks uh, and ask about next energy, you know, I, next energy, we're, we're one, we're a nonprofit corporation. Um, our mission is to um, accelerate smarter, cleaner, and more accessible solutions for communities and cities, which is, you know, fairly grandiose at, at, at that level of a mission statement. Um, but we really, um, we work to achieve our mission by um, building public-private partnerships where, you know, our industry partners can commercialize and deploy new solutions. And, you know, the public sector, which for us is, you know, down to the community level, city level, state and federal government level, um, where the public sector can really understand um, and invest in these solutions that will improve the quality of life for its citizens. Yeah, and in fact, um, uh, you worked on not only local government, but you've also done quite a bit, and we can get into it a little bit more, but with the federal government as well. Obviously, you worked with the now Secretary Granholm, but Governor, why don't you mention a little bit working with her way back, I think, when when you were there. Yeah, we also, gosh, we're going back some time now. Um, but we worked uh, with the governor's office and the MEDC. Um, really, you know, Next Energy was started um, uh, early on in the Granholm administration uh, and became a, an independent nonprofit um, through what was the Next Energy Authority Act. And we really worked with the governor's office, the MEDC, um, what is now EGLE, um, and other groups within the state government to start to build out and establish what was then um, referred to as the alternative energy industry. And so thinking way back then, you know, this is 20 years ago now, um, applications for fuel cells, um, you know, the new applications when like solar energy was in its infancy, um, wind power, et cetera, and Next Energy, you know, worked with others to start to build out the supply and value chain for Michigan industry to be able to participate in, in these growing sectors. And you also, um, I, I don't know if you call her up on a regular basis now, but I'm sure you've had some interactions with the Department of Energy since she's been in the position too now, haven't you? Sure. Yeah. We, um, you know, Next Energy, we regularly partner um, with industry and others on um, Department of Energy funded research development and demonstration programs. So one of the programs we um, we just finished recently um, was uh, with Delta Electronics, General Motors, and DTE, among some other partners. And that was really to develop, uh, test, and deploy a 
400 kilowatt DC fast charger that would be able to charge an electric vehicle in 10 minutes. So now we're you know starting to mimic or get towards that gas station type experience. And that project was um, 50% funded by the Department of Energy. Um, we're also affiliated with um, Michigan Clean Cities, uh, which works closely with the Department of Energy, uh, where we work um, really in you know all across the state to deploy um, new mobility solutions and technologies that are going to uh, reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. Um, so a, a number of DOE programs all along our, our existence. Yeah, and I mean, just for your background a little bit, I know you went to Orange Tech. You're an electrical engineer. Or I know you're an engineer, yes. but electrical. Yeah, electrical okay. engineer. Yeah. Yeah, yes. so that means you actually know your stuff when you're talking to people. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know enough, I guess, to not blow things up or, or set buildings on fire. Um, uh, but I've you know, kind of had a, uh, I guess I didn't think it was, but other people thought it was a fairly interesting background. Um, I started out out of college working in the petroleum industry uh, where we were developing technologies. So this is back in the 80s, um, so a long time ago but uh, developing technology to let someone know if their underground uh, petroleum storage tank was leaking. And, you know, went from there to uh, spent uh, a little over 10 years in uh, developing lithium batteries. And then about five years in hydrogen fuel cells, in hydrogen fuel cell development uh, before coming to Next Energy. So was kind of always in this like advanced energy space, I guess, but I really didn't think of it as advanced energy. I just thought of it as my job. Yeah. And when you're in the middle of an evolution, you don't know it's maybe kind of a revolution too sometimes just because it's sort of just what you're doing and stuff gets antiquated and new stuff comes along all the time. Yeah. Especially when you're like in the, uh, uh, when I was in the battery industry, I, I worked for Duracell. So, a, you know, a, a household name. Type thing, and we were developing um, at this time, you know, lithium-ion batteries for cell phones and notebook computers, and I think so. Uh, moving from there to uh, the hydrogen fuel cell industry, where you know you're working for a startup, you're you know a totally different mode of operations, right? You're you're kind of like living for the next day and getting to the next day, and what's the next milestone that you can meet, and and all that. So um, you know, along the way, just a lot of different experiences. Yeah, the venture capital angle is always challenging, I know, in startups. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to ask you some more about fuel cells, but a little bit later. But also, we met originally when a new organization that you were helpful in starting, they uh, I, I don't think they've changed their name too much, but it's the Michigan Energy Innovation Business Council. I think they just added the MI to it since I was actually the first president for it and starting it up, and you were very involved with that whole process. And I know it's still pretty active. And um, I just know that uh, you were very helpful to me at that time. And I appreciate all the work and the guidance. And I forgot her name. Who was your predecessor? She was very helpful too. Uh, had the job before you. Oh, uh, Jean Redfield. Yes. Yes. I used to work with Jean as well quite a bit. And uh, so it was a good experience to how to meet you, especially when I was trying to create, you know, two different nonprofits at that point, because we had to also figure out how to way to receive money, move it through. And then also to make sure we had like a membership based organization, which is a little bit 
more of a challenge, especially if you've run a chamber of commerce before, you know, what goes in with that. Um, so why don't you start out a little bit because this is an MEDC podcast. You do a lot with the MEDC as well. Why, why don't you mention some of the things I know you mentioned around the underground home, but you're pretty active still with the MEDC, correct? Yeah, we, um, uh, we, we are fortunate enough to be uh, the technical program manager for the Office of Future Mobility and Electrification's uh, real-world deployment program. And so uh, as that, right now, um, we've just, we'll be announcing um, some, a new round of, of pilots in deployments. Uh, so we'll be very close to, to deploying technology in 30 different Michigan communities, um, looking to, uh, you know, take the technology, someone's value proposition uh, with partners in Michigan, deploy it, understand its value prop, understand what the next steps are, how does it mature uh, and scale, and then how does it solve um, real-world problems for Michiganders? And so we've been we've been working with OFME for um, probably the last four years now um, on this program, and it's growing and it's uh, uh, it's expanded to um, support also testing at um, kind of Michigan or OFME uh, recognized testing sites. So if companies have new solutions that you know, it's not ready to go in the real world, but it needs to be tested at a test track like the American Center for Mobility or um, at the Detroit Smart Parking Lab and, and other sites like that. There's resources that are available to support um, their development as well. Um, so it's been a, a really exciting program and it's been a program where, you know, we've been able to kind of be front and center with OFME on, you know, what are some of the cool new things that are going to be uh, really impacting our lives as we move forward. Yeah, and something you touched on a little bit earlier about like all the local governments, but just governments, you're really like a statewide organization and you have projects around the state. Can you mention a few around the state? Sure. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned the the affiliation with Michigan Clean Cities um, and, you know, some of the work that, you know, we're doing with them around the state. Uh, we have a program, uh, an initiative that's part of the uh, EGLES or the, you know, Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy uh, their Catalyst Communities Initiative is called Michigan Next Cities, and it's a program where we've started with three cities, uh, Dearborn, Flint, and Marquette. So with Marquette, we're actually you know working about as far north as we can in the state um, to help these cities, uh, you know, one, build pathways and plans to achieve carbon neutrality, which is, uh, you know, part of uh, a recent, you know, governor's economic, uh, excuse me, executive order. Um, but then, you know, how do they plan for that and how do we deploy solutions that are going to be that we can replicate in other communities, but really show, you know, Michigan, how we're going to get to where we want to be. And so we're starting out with those cities. Um, stay tuned for, you know, some announcements in the next, you know, month or so of, um, you know, what types of technologies and solutions that will be deployed in these cities. But, you know, think about how a city may electrify their fleet and invest in new mobility technology, how they're going to decarbonize homes and buildings, and then how they're going to, how they can best utilize new sensors and systems that will allow um, for a more efficient use and, uh, and increase the reliability of our infrastructure. Yeah. And I would imagine even in some of this, just because you've worked with American center for mobility too, that, there's going to be more because we've had guests on before talking about like edge computing and things like that. But 
I would imagine how the efficiency of your car is driving is going to be so much more improved because that would be part of your smart cities program, wouldn't it? Or similar to it. Similar to it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's really how, you know, in the smart cities aspect of it, it is, is how can, you know, a city or, you know, municipality, community, town, et cetera, understand and, and leverage the data that's being generated, you know, by all the things around, you know, virtually everything talks to each other. Now our lives are so connected. Um, it's, you know, how do they leverage that to really, um, you know, provide new services, create new value and, you know, a higher quality of life for people who live, work and visit their cities. Um, and so it's, you know, things that would be, um, you know, we're not necessarily like preventing uh, flooding within a city. You know, we don't have the, the systems and the budget to, to do those types of investments, but can we utilize technologies that would give um, the city the ability to uh, inform residents that, you know, in you know a few hours, you know, based on all the sensors and the data and the systems, within a few hours, you might see your basement start to flood. You know, how do you protect against some of those things? How do you, um, and then uh, with those sensors and technologies, you know, restore services faster. Um, and, you know, that all comes from, you know, a sensor that can provide all kinds of data information to someone that, you know, has the ability to understand it and make better decisions from it. Same thing goes for like mobility. You know, you think about, um, you know, one of the projects that it's not necessarily part of the, the smart cities program, but we're working with um, Electrion, which is an Israeli company to develop a one mile stretch of inductive roadway in Corktown. Right. So, you know, here's a new technology that will be installed in the real world that so many others will be able to learn from and take that data and that information to think of how do they better deploy city services, which could be more efficient use of public transit. It could be how does a city monetize the curbside? So when you're, you know, when you're parking, you're paying for parking and charging in, in one transaction and it's a more seamless experience and more easily you know, managed um, both by the city and for the consumer. So there's a, a lot of these types of applications. You're listening to the Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. You mentioned an uh, international company like, or organization like the Israeli company, but uh, organization. But do we get a lot of international sort of people that come here because they see Southeast Michigan or Michigan in general as a place they can learn some things from? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I don't have the specific number at my fingertips, but many of the, the companies that have uh, leveraged the Michigan, you know, the, the real world deployment program from OFME, they have, they're from out of the, you know, outside of the country. They have been able to deploy their technology in Michigan, develop partnerships with Michigan, expand operations in Michigan, um, all the things, because, you know, in the mobility space, you know, we're that, you know, we we like to think, but we know we are like the center of gravity for all these things. And at some point you're going to, you know, if you're an international company, you need to to have relationships in Michigan in order to be able to scale your technology. Well, that's good to know. And one other thing I note that, which is good for you, is that you call yourselves Next Energy. 
So when you talk about energy, you're obviously in a lot of different fields. You're not just talking about electrification. Could you explain just quickly what a fuel cell is for people that uh, might not be familiar with them in general? Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll start out with the easiest thing is like a battery, right? So we have, you know, batteries in our cell phones and our computers and, and now in our vehicles that um, you charge it and you um, buy you know, putting electricity into it to charge the battery. And then as you use your phone, your computer, drive your electric car, you deplete that battery and it's, and it recharges. So that battery produces direct current and that direct current or that DC uh, energy, it makes the wheels move. Fuel cells um, are, they're, they're two different things. It's fuel and then the cell. So the cell is very similar to a battery. It, it consumes the fuel and produces DC, you know, electricity and DC energy to power a device, make wheels move or, you know, uh, whatever it is, whether it's like a stationary device, a generator or a vehicle. And then that fuel part is a tank of hydrogen. And so you, as, um, as the hydrogen is depleted, um, you know, the, you get to the point where you need to replenish it. So instead of charging a, a battery and plugging into, um, you know, a DC fast charger or, you know, the, the, your computer into its charger or whatever, you would connect um, a hydrogen source to it, just like you would fill up a car with gasoline. And then you would, you would fuel, uh, refill that tank with hydrogen. I know Toyota is still kind of working on that angle pretty hard still, I think. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're, we're working on a, a hydrogen project. Right now, with um, uh, Shell, Toyota, Hyundai, Nikola, Air Liquide, and NEL um, to develop components that would allow you to refuel like a Class 8 truck in a similar time that you would with diesel fuel, right? So that, you know, you think of that DC fast charger, you can charge the car in 10 minutes. Now you could, you know, fuel this Class 8 truck that to let it go 500 miles in about 10 minutes. And um, some of Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say when we, so when we think of like fuel cells, um, I, I kind of think of like, what are the best applications for fuel cells and like, why would one choose battery electric versus fuel cell electric? To me, um, you think of freight and logistics applications and the bigger, the heavier the vehicle and the longer it needs to, to drive, you know, on, on one tank of fuel, um, or one charge of a battery, those bigger, heavier vehicles lend themselves more to fuel cells. Passenger vehicles like, you know, the the Mustang Mach-E and the Chevy Bolt and, and others, you know, battery electric will be the way to go for those vehicles because we have the infrastructure to, you know, and we're building out more infrastructure to charge those vehicles, you know, in minutes to allow them to, you know, go to 300 miles. Um, and so it's, it's really freight delivery applications where, you know, weight is money. You know, if you think of having a battery electric vehicle that was so big in order to go so many miles, you would actually limit the amount of cargo you could carry. Well, that doesn't work for like a UPS or an Amazon or, um, you know, FedEx and those types of applications. And in some cases, in some environments, transit buses. Um, and so it's it's really, you know, use case specific, but there's plenty of opportunities for both battery electric and fuel cells. Yeah, that's to me, it's just fascinating because I don't think fuel cell gets enough attention sometimes just because it's not as well known as like 
batteries are sort of in general, you know, because we all know about Duracell, for example, where you worked. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I joked uh, when I was in the fuel cell industry back in the early 2000s, you know, the standing joke was fuel cells were five years away from commercialization and have been for the last 50 years. <laughs> um, and, you know, over the, so a couple of things that's really accelerated and changed that. Well, one, um, you know, we started with hybrid vehicles and then pure battery electric vehicles. Well, those vehicles use the same drive, you know, the electric drive and the other components after the battery, a fuel cell uses the same components. So, you know, by working in batteries, we've started to, you know, dramatically lower the cost of the electric drive system and all those other components. Um, at the same time, the, the cost of the fuel cells come down. But one of the biggest ch- changes that happened is, you know, back in the early 2000s, we talked about the potential for zero emissions mobility. And, you know, w- we could only imagine a day where um, we have, you know, as much renewable energy and carbon-free energy, electricity that we're producing, you know, today and what we're planning for in the future. That was something we couldn't get our arms around 20 years ago. So now we have a pathway to, you know, really rid ourselves from uh, dependence on fossil fuels. So uh, we're down to the last couple of questions. <laughs> but um, one other thing, I didn't know if you had any other sort of partners you wanted to uh, uh, highlight or any other stakeholders that you work with. I know you've mentioned quite a few, but I just thought if you had any other ones you wanted to mention. Uh, I'll probably be emailing you after saying I should have mentioned. <laughs> don't worry about it. You've mentioned yeah. quite a few. Don't worry. Um, and you've also covered some of the other questions I was going to ask you about trends and things. And because you've mentioned quite a few things already, actually. But the last couple of questions are uh, like knowing, you know, all this stuff about energy now. And if you were like that kid that was going to be going to Lawrence Tech, uh, what would you recommend a career for nowadays? Because you know kind of where the jobs are going to be a little bit too. Yeah, I guess I would I would say like, you know, for someone going into engineering um, or someone going into the tech space, embrace chemistry, you know, battery chemistry, fuel cell chemistry, you know, um, just different processes for different materials, whether, you know, light weighting and other things that are going to play a tremendous role in how we move forward. So chemistry is very important. Understanding your way around computers and coding, you know, embrace that. You don't have to be a computer, you know, have a degree in computer science or computer engineering um, to work in that space, but, you know, understand how that fits within what your your field of study is. Um, and, you know, I would say is um, really go into everything with an open mind. You know, when I when I went to school, um, uh, my high school counselor told me to be an engineer because I was good at math. And I grew up in the Detroit area. Be an engineer, go work for an auto company. You know, I mean, that was kind of the feedback, the guidance they gave everybody, I guess, if you were, you know, decent at math. Um, and so... Uh, but I've, you know, I don't think I've ever worked directly in the auto industry. You know, when, you know, when I was working with at that time, Daimler Chrysler on fuel cell technology and other things, it was kind of like, that was really far out in the future, even for, you know, the other 99% of the people at Daimler Chrysler. Right. And so it's, 
it's a little bit of just be inquisitive. You know, you don't know what you're going to be, what you're going to be doing. You know, life changes really fast and keep your eyes open and, um, you know, really, you know, kind of try everything because you're, you know, you're going to work in, uh, you know, in environments and companies where you're going to be, you know, asked to do so many different things and don't, you know, don't box yourself into a corner. Yeah. Just so you know, they told me to join the Marines in high school because my grade point wasn't that great. Um, so, uh, anyway, the last question is you grew up in Michigan, as you said, what, what's one of your favorite things to do or events or festivals or place to go? Gosh, my favorite things to do in uh, Michigan. Uh, well, my, my favorite thing to do is golf. So I, I love to golf. Um, we're blessed in Michigan with having so many great golf courses. Um, I only wish that our golf season was a little longer, um, than it is now, but, uh, you so know, the golf I, courses. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the golf. I love to, um, spend time in, you know, the Northern part of the state. It's beautiful. Um, you know, there's, there's hiking, there's fishing, there's, I'm not a great fisherman, but I like to do it. Um, there's, you know, so many different things to do. And, you know, I mean, while we might not, not like it when it's happening, cause we have to drive through it. I mean, but four seasons, you know, you get a little bit of everything here. And, and, um, I've been, I, I've been fortunate enough in, in my, you know, professional life to have traveled all over the world. Um, but I've always resided in Michigan and I've always been able to call Michigan home. And, you know, when people come to Michigan from other parts of the state or excuse me, other parts of the country or the, the world for that matter, they're amazed at how inviting and friendly, you know, everyone from Michigan is. So it's just a great place to be. And people who, who come to Michigan uh, for business really have a hard time leaving. Yeah, it's, uh, it is an amazing state. I, I'm always amazed when people do come here from around the world and they always go, wow, well, that's not what we expected. Um, anyway, uh, well, once again, our guest was Jim Saber. He's the president and CEO of Next Energy. Uh, longtime friend, and I appreciate you, Jim, for taking time to do this today. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks for having me, Ed. It's been a lot of fun. Join us next week where our guest is Tom Lutz. He's the Executive Secretary Treasurer for the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters and Millwrights. And he'll talk to us about America's future workforce and how it's evolving. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.